Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcasts. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues our series titled Christmas 2007. And today, Pastor Mike brings us a message titled Moving Forward by Looking Back. Well, good morning. Wow, and uh, Happy New Year almost. Uh, So how many are going out uh, New Year's Eve? How many are going out this year? Going out? Raise your hand. How many are staying home? You're staying home? Okay, this whole church just stays at home. I'm telling you, it's like the deadest place. I'm telling you, what is up with that? But now, uh, it's uh, great to be with you. And uh, if you're new here at Rocky Peak, just want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mike. And inside of your uh, program for the weekend, there's a white message note sheet. We have a special message uh, to kick off the new year. And uh, before we do that, I've got a couple uh, special announcements or just updates on things. Um, one I want to give you is an update on our uh, church uh, kind of finances. Now, if you're a regular here at Rocky Peak, you'll say, well, wait, you've never done that before. It's a new thing. And yes, it is. It's not only uh, unusual, I've never done that. But I've had a couple people in my life recently said, Mike, I think you need to do that. People that I, I respect, uh, let's just call one of them like Dave, you know, like, like maybe Dave Cox. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, you know, he said, you know, I, you know if, you, if you attend here, you know that I send out several times a year these ministry update letters that talk about what's going on in the church and always include a section on finances. And Dave says, I'm not so sure people read your letters. And it's like, you're killing me, Dave. You know, you're killing me. And don't you think they at least, like, skim the headings, you know? And he's like, I'm not so sure. And so that was about a week's worth of depression right there. And and, uh, but anyway, I, I think that uh, he's probably right that I need to give you an update. So uh, here's where we, we are as we end the, the year is that, uh, as I've mentioned in my last two, leaders for, uh, two letters for the three of you who've read those, um, that uh, I, I think our economy is really catching up with us uh, in terms of our church and our giving. Uh, I don't know if you saw the last couple of weeks, but uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, um, he has kind of issued a a decree that uh, every department in, in the California state government has to come up with a new budget that cuts 10% off. <laughs> it's great. The uh, correctional systems are going to do it by releasing 30,000 prisoners. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, and so, but that same budget shortfall that's hitting our, our state, I think it's really impacting us as a congregation. You know, this fall has been great. We've been growing a lot, uh, kind of attendance numerically wise, but our giving has actually gone down. And uh, in terms of, and we're about maybe 5, 10% behind. So where we stand right now, this is the last weekend of the year, and uh, we're, we're entering into the weekend about $500,000 uh, short of where we need to be. Uh, that could come in this weekend because it's our biggest, usually, week of the year of giving. But, uh, uh, but that's a lot of money. And I wanted to alert you for a couple reasons because um, kind of the way our, our, our budget works is about 80% of our budget as a church is fixed costs, things like to mortgages, utilities, salaries, benefits, things that, you know, you just kind of, they're set. And then about 20% is more discretionary. You use that for uh, running your ministries, missions, uh, you know, whatever things you do. And so uh, the, the bottom line is that if, if that money doesn't come in, uh, then we're going to be looking at some pretty tough choices as we go into a budget for, 
for this new year. Things that would probably include things like uh, salary uh, cuts, uh, perhaps, you know, losses of positions, some layoffs, uh, cuts in like missions or core ministries, things that we do. And so more than anything else, I wanted to just let you know, both as you uh, kind of pray and give with your year-end giving, you'll be informed as you do that. Um, But secondly, too, is that if we do have to make any of those tough decisions in December or in January, I really didn't want anyone coming back and saying, well, I wish we'd known and you'd been more clear that two letters wasn't enough. (laughs) That, uh, that, because uh, if we'd known, we could have, you know, done something about it. And so um, I just wanted to make you aware of it. Uh, obviously, today's offering goes into this year's giving. And uh, also, even though the offices won't be open tomorrow on, on Monday, that um, your, your gift can still be given if you just drop it in the mail tomorrow. It gets postmarked. As long as it's postmarked by the 31st, then for IRS reasons and all, it's considered part of your 2007 uh, donations. So that, that's one update. Just want to bring up to you. The second uh, thing I want to give you an update on is um, Beth, Back to Bethlehem. And in fact, if you are in Back to Bethlehem in any way, you serve coffee, you're one of the shopkeepers, you're a Roman soldier, you did PR work or whatever, would you just stand right now so we could honor you? <laughs> just thank you so much. Great. Thank you. You know, it takes... Uh, Hundreds of uh, volunteers to pull that off. And this year we had our biggest by far ever. We had, as I mentioned last week, uh, almost 18,000 people come to back to Bethlehem. And what I get excited about is a lot of these people are people that perhaps don't have a church home or they're not really following Jesus. And this is sort of a first step, kind of a pre-evangelism step, that maybe it's their first positive experience, something associated with church or Jesus. It kind of lets us know, lets them know we're here, you know. And so if, if they want to take that next step to coming and just checking out, well, what's this? about who is this Jesus and does he have any uh, message for my life it's kind of the next step and so I just want to thank you for that and it was great news uh, just uh, fantastic okay so we're going to go into our time of teaching right now if you haven't uh, done so already I think most of you pulled out your white message note sheet but I encourage you to uh, pull that out as we launch into uh, the, the teaching time uh, for today So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for what you're doing at our church this year. It's been an amazing year of growth for us, God, as you've been on the move. And now as we get ready for a new year, we just want to be all prepped. We want to be ready for what you're going to do in our lives and in our lives as a church. And so we pray, Lord, today as we talk about kind of looking back so we can move forward, that you would give us an understanding of some really powerful spiritual principles that help us to do that. We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so the year, it's 1953, and uh, it's set in, uh, story set in England. There's a couple of young children, Jill and Eustace. They both attend this private boarding school. It was one of those progressive schools at the time that would kind of let children do whatever they want so they could find their inner child, including bullying other children. And so uh, that day, Jill and Eustace were being chased by some of the school's biggest bullies. They're running through the, the forest and through the, the shrubbery, and they, they're trying to find a place to hide. And they come to this large, uh, they come to this large wall with a, with a gate in it, and the gate's normally locked. But this time, they try the gate just to escape, and sure enough, it's open. So they get through the other side, and the moment they come through the other side, they enter into the magical land of Narnia. Now, Eustace wasn't surprised. He'd been to Narnia once before. In fact, just a year before, he had been to Narnia. In fact, a few minutes before the bully showed up, he had actually been confiding in Jill for the very first time about his experiences in Narnia. So he wasn't so shocked. But for Jill, I mean, this was just a huge surprise, a huge shock. She was taken back. And shortly after they 
They arrive there in Narnia through a series of events. They get separated from one another, and so it's Jill by herself who meets Aslan, the great lion, the son of the emperor who rules over the sea. She meets Aslan the first time, and he explains why he has called her and Eustace out of their world into Narnia. It turns out that in the year that Eustace has been back in England, it's actually been 70 years' time in Narnia. And during that time, one of Eustace's friends on his first visit, the young prince Caspian, has now grown old. He's now King Caspian. And in that 70 years, he has married a woman who became his queen. They had a son named Rillian. They became Prince Rillian. They, he, they, he grew up. And later in life, one day, Prince Rillian and his mother, the queen, were out with their court for a picnic riding in the woods. And while there, a huge serpent, a green serpent, slithered through the forest and came and bit his mother and she died. So now Rillian was obsessed with finding the serpent and killing the serpent. Every day he would ride out from the castle at Caer Paravel, and he would ride out and search the serpent. Every night he would come in empty-handed until one night he wrote, one day he rode out and came back never again. The king, King Caspian, was heartbroken. He'd now lost his wife. He'd now lost his son. And so he began to send out one by one 30 of the bravest warriors in all of Narnia in search of Rillian. But one by one, they never returned. And now it's at the very end of his life, and King Caspian is now a very old man. He's heard rumors that Aslan is on the move, and he's been sighted in the lone islands in the far and distant seas. And so he's, he's, joining, he's, he's loading up his ship, and though he's old and frail, he's sailing off in search of Aslan in hopes that maybe he'll have news about his son. And so Aslan meets Jill, and he tells her the story. The reason he's brought her and Eustace into Narnia was that he shares with her that the prince is still actually alive. He's in a far and distant land. That he's under a spell, and their job is to go in search of him, to find him and rescue him and bring him back, or to die in the trying. And so he gives Jill four signs that will, guard, go, will guide them on their journey. Four signs that are the key to the success. He goes over each sign in great detail. He makes her repeat the signs one by one until she can say them perfectly. And then he tells her, Jill, you need to say these signs every morning when you rise up. You need to say the signs every night when you go to sleep. You need to say the signs in the middle of the night when you wake up because these are the signs that are key to your success. So today, we're entering into a brand new year. End of one year, start of another. Don't you love this time of the year? I just love the new year. It's time of, you know, fresh starts and new beginnings. And it's just a time where you can look back and see where you've come from and where you're going and any mid-course corrections you might need to make. I just love this time of year. And uh, today I want to talk to you about just an extremely important, powerful spiritual lesson. And, and, and it's all about the importance of remembering. And here's how it goes. This is the lesson in the nutshell, is that, that God is always on the move in your life and my life. He's got a plan for your life. He's been working in your life all year long, teaching you lessons, taking you through experiences. And these lessons, these experiences, these signs, if you will, are what you need to follow into the new year. It's these lessons that are going to prepare you to succeed in what I like to call God's preferred future for your life. But the key is remembering. And the problem is, as human beings, as fallen human beings, we have a tremendous capacity for forgetting. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you're in a sermon or you've had an experience where God shows you something and it's so clear and so amazing, you're just sure, I will never forget that. And then down the line, you wake up one day and you just realize you've just totally forgotten that. You just thought you could never. And so, so that's the problem. The key to our future is remembering our past and what he's taught us to remember the signs. And yet, by nature, it's not within us. We have a, a serious problem as a race of what I'm calling spiritual amnesia. And so today we're going to talk about that. Uh, how do we get better at that? Remembering what God has taught us in 2007 so we can move with Him in the journey He has for us in 2008. Now, when you turn to the Bible, it has um, a lot to teach us about this topic. It's a frequent topic, especially in the Old Testament. For example, there's a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 78. We won't turn there today, but it's there on your note sheet. It's going to be a great study for this week. It's a psalm written by a man named Asaph. He's sort of the J.D. Cunningham of, of King David's life. He's like the, the lead worship leader. And so Asaph uh, writes this great psalm. And in this psalm, he talks about this theme about for, uh, remembering and forgetting. He looks back at Israel's history, especially at the period of time when Israel was uh, coming out of bondage and slavery to Egypt. And the 40 years after, when God uh, saved their lives, you know, in the 40 years, just in supernatural ways. And he says, as I look back into Israel's history, I see this pattern. Here's what happens. is that Israel's in a jam. They're in a crisis. They call out to God. He rescues them supernaturally. He teaches them how to live. And for a while, they remember. But then after a while, they forget. They get distracted. They get off track. They end up disobeying, and their lives fall apart. And so they're in this problem now. And so they have a crisis. So they call out to God. God comes and rescues them. He teaches them what they did wrong. I've got it. And then they, they forget after a while. They go into a jam. And so you see this pattern, this vicious cycle in the life of Israel over and over again. And it all revolves around remembering and forgetting. And so as you read this psalm, you'll, you'll see that theme over and over again. In fact, as you read it, just look for how many times it says remember or forget as you read that long psalm. And so, so the lesson is, in Asaph's day, he says, so Israel, hey, let's wake up. Let's learn the lesson from our forefathers here that we need to remember what God has said. We need to remember what God has done if we want to move into his preferred future for our lives. So that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to be talking about, well, how do we, how do we get better at this? Now, in Israel's case, uh, God really went out of his way to help them remember. Uh, as you study the Old Testament, he had several ways, kind of practical steps, to help them with this. For example, uh, the start of the Jewish race, uh, Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God would show up to them throughout their lives periodically, and he would appear to them, and he would give them a message. Now, maybe you can help me. After he would do this, he would appear to them, uh, he would often give them a command or they would do something after God appeared. Does, do you even remember what he would do, what they would do? Wow, that's awesome. One person here has read the Bible. Very good. Build the altar. Yeah, they, they build the altar. That's exactly what happens. So, they, so God shows up, he appears, reveals himself, gives them a message, and then they would build an altar. Now, why would they do that? Because every time they go by that altar... They'd say, hey, it was this time, this place, right here, that God spoke to me, and God told me what I need to do, and I need to remember that. You move further on in their history. 
nation of Israel. They're, they're coming out of, uh, out, of, uh, out of the wilderness, 40 years. They're crossing into the promised land. They're going to cross the Jordan. Big deal. This is a scary time for them. Wow, you know, they've got to fight all these enemies. Will they win or not? God wants to show them that he's with them supernaturally, just like he was with their fathers. So he splits the, the, uh, the Jordan River. They pass through on dry ground. While they're going through, God gives instructions to Joshua. Take one representative from each of the 12 tribes. Have them pick up a boulder in the middle of the dry, the dry stream. Have them carry it to camp tonight. So they do that. When they get there, God says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to pile up these rocks right in the middle of the camp. Well, how come? He says, so that in the future, when your children come and they weren't here to see what I did today, they will say, what is, what's up with these rocks? And you'll be able to tell them this story. It's a way of remembering what I did in your life right here. When he launches the nation of Israel, he actually works remembering laws into their very constitution as a country. For example, three times a year, they was required in the law that all of the Israel, they would travel from wherever they lived around the country. They would take the long journey for a week holiday. Isn't that great? A week holiday, three times a year, as part of uh, just being the nation of Israel. And they would come to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate a feast, a party. And, and these feasts were all about remembering. So the first feast, feast of Passover. They're remembering when God saved them from slavery in Egypt. Feast number two, feast of tabernacles. They would actually build these little like tents or barns or little shacks out in the middle of the wilderness and camp there all week out. They were remembering the 40 years God supernaturally took care of their nation in the wilderness. Third feast, Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It was a harvest feast. They would come together and celebrate the harvest, celebrate and remember that it was God who gave them the ability to make wealth and bless their fields and provided for them. And so every year, three times a year, they'd do these feasts and remember what God had done in their life. You go further on in the Old Testament law. There was laws about their clothing. On the edge of their cloaks, they were supposed to put these tassels the tassels would remind them every time they got dressed of the law of God that they needed to walk in his law to have this bless, their blessing on their life. And of course, one of the most important uh, uh, helps for remembering was simply to read the word. That the whole nation was commanded that every so often they were to read the word together. The leaders especially were to read the word, we'll see that later, to read the word, meditate on a night and day. Why? So you could remember what God's done Remember what God's taught you because remembering is the key to your success in the future, you see? And so, so I don't know about you, but, but this is not an Israel issue. This is a human issue, isn't it? I mean, because we've all been there, right? We've all been there. At some time in our life, God showed up in a big way. We're in a jam. He saves us, teaches us truth. Or whatever. We just think we will never forget that and then only to forget it uh, later on. So here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to talk about four simple steps of how to grow in just remembering what God has done. And, uh, but before we do that, and before you turn your pages, uh, you're getting too good. Uh, before we do that, uh, I want to do a little sidebar here just for a second. And I want to talk about, what, uh, give you five examples of the types of things we need to remember if we want to be successful in our future. 
Now, these would be, for example, if you're looking at 2007, what are five things from 2007 you need to remember that are your signs that God has given you to help you be successful in 2008, okay? So let me just run through like five examples. Number one, first thing you need to remember is the hard times. Now, not so much the hard times really as God's deliverance from the hard times. This is one of the things that we need to always remember when we're going through, uh, you know, when we're, we're kind of moving into our future. Um, in other words, like, Am I the only one, uh, I don't think so, but I'm the only one that you go through a tough time in your life. Now, now you kind of think of what, okay, go on your life. You go through a tough time in your life, and you are just freaking out. You're just like, what am I going to, I just lost my job, how am I going to pay the bills? Uh, your teenage kids are going crazy, you don't know what to do with them. You have a health issue, you got marriage problems, your spiritual life is down the tube. Something huge is going on in your life, and you are freaking out. And so what do we do? We start praying, right? And only, in fact, we don't just start praying and ask God to help us. We, we start calling our friends and ask if they will pray. We, we share it with our life group when you pray. And we just, we are just, oh God, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. What's gonna, I'm not going to make it through this time. I know there's another time, but I'm not going to make it through this time. And we're just calling out to God, right? And so then what happens? So God comes along and he rescues us. He provides, he delivers. And we're just like, God, that is the coolest. I can't believe you did that. We call all our friends, tell them the good news, share a life group. And what we go through a time like that, we say, God, I will never doubt you again. <laughs> right? How many of you have ever told God that? I will never doubt you again. This was so big. This was so huge that if you could do this, you can do anything. I'm sorry for doubting you. I will never doubt you again. And we mean it. And then about a week later, <laughs> hit another crisis, and it's as if the first one never happened, right? Okay, so, so if we're going to move in the future, we've got to remember the hard times God's delivered. It's the second thing we need to remember. The second thing is spiritual insights, kind of aha moments, what I like to call aha moments. Those times when God comes, it may be through a sermon, it may be through reading the Word, it may be through something a friend shares, it could be uh, uh, the Holy Spirit just opening your eyes to something. But there, uh, it's, it's a moment of clarity. It's a spiritual aha. When God shows up and He shows you something, wow, that is powerful. I was thinking this week, I was thinking that um, how congregationally as a church, how God has given us aha moments this year. I mean, it's just been an amazing year of journeying with Jesus, hasn't it? I and mean, we started the year with the message and the movement, the life and teaching of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. And remember how week after week we'd walk away and we're like, wow, he's so smart and God is just so good. And we get, we get it and we have these aha moments. We came into the fall, we did that whole series on the marriage matrix and what it takes to make relationships work. And then we ended the year with this message on the war and spiritual warfare and how that works. And, and it was a year of ahas, wasn't it? It was a year where week by week God was teaching. It wasn't just like, you, it was me too. God's teaching us as a congregation. God is leading us. God's moving. And we sense it. We sense it in our congregation. And you know, it's so quick. It's so easy. You get an insight however it comes, and you think, I will never forget this insight. And then three months, six months, a year later, and all of a sudden it comes up again. You go, oh, my God, I forgot all about that. I forgot all about You ever had that experience? Like, oh, yeah. I learned that once, I forgot. So the second thing we need to be successful in the future, we've got to remember the insights. Number three, um, specific direction. So there's times in our life 
when God's going to come with words of specific direction. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And so maybe you're dealing with a temptation in your life, and God shows you this is how to handle it. You're dealing with your finances. This is what I want you to do. You're dealing with a relationship. Husbands, you're how to make your wife a priority, and God shows you this is, these are marching orders. It may come through a sermon. It may come through your reading the Word, and it just, just jumps off the page. It could come a variety of ways, but you have a, sense, a clear sense. This is not just a general insight of how life works. This is a specific direction, how I want you to do your life, and it's clear. You know those moments in a sermon, you often come and you'll talk to me about, man, it was so, I don't know why everyone else was there. That was just for me. Okay, so God has given you clear and specific direction. And at the time, we think there's no way I could ever forget this. Okay? A fourth example. It's specific promises. Times in your life where God shows up. Often in the midst of hard times or fears or and God gives you a specific promise. It's for you. It's not generic. It's not general. It could come, again, through reading the Word. It could come through in the midst of a worship song. It could come um, <clears throat> through a prophetic word that someone feels like God's giving them something to share with you, and they share, and it's just like, right on target. You sense it's from the Lord. It could come a million ways, but God has clearly given you a promise. And when that promise comes, it is powerful. And it, your fears wash away, and God is with me. And if God is with me, who could be against me? And this is, it's hard now, but I know it's going to be okay, and you're right there. Okay, it's a fourth thing. The fifth thing we need to remember. The fifth thing is what I'm calling painful disobedience. So this would be a time in your life where um, you know exactly what God wants you to do. Okay? Stop dating guys who aren't Christians. You know, God has been clear with you. Look at what it's done in your life. Stop doing that. Stop compromising this business thing. Stop doing this in your marriage. And it's really clear. And you know exactly what God wants you to do, but you just don't want to do it. And so you decide, thank you very much, God. I'm just going to do this one on my own. And so you go down that path, and just like Israel, your life falls apart. And it gets very painful. And at the bottom, you call on God, and he rescues you, and you bring you back. And you say, God, I will never do that again. Man, this pain is so painful. I will never make that mistake again. I will never forget this pain. Rob and J.D. and I were talking this week, separate conversations, but we were talking about the flu. J.D. had the flu. Uh, Fortunately, it came at the end of Christmas Eve. (laughs) That's great because he could lead us in worship and then go home and get sick. So, so he, he gets the flu and he loses like the next two or three days like 10 pounds. And he says, man, I just forgot how bad it is to spend days on in, in the bathroom, you know. And it's like, and Robin and I were talking, yeah, that's how the flu is. It's like you have the flu. Like if you get a bad case of the flu, it is so painful. You forget how horrible it is. So you afterwards, the next year, you get your flu shot, right, because you never want to experience that again. Then the next year, you don't get the flu. You think, oh, it's no big deal. I probably won't get it. And if I do, it's not that bad. Then you have the flu. Are you kidding me? This is horrible. You see? And so we have this ability to forget. And so 
we've, we, we, you know, we, these warnings or disobediences, God, we, we think, well, well, hold on. And so these are examples. These are the kinds of things that we need to remember from our past. These are the signs that Aslan's giving us. These are the signs to mark your future. You know, repeat the signs, morning, noon, and night. You've got to remember the signs. These are the lessons that will guide you into this journey in the future that I have for you. Now, let's talk then about how we can grow in this area. So, uh, so if we're going to remember the signs, uh, what are some simple steps we can take? And I want to give you four simple steps, and, and these really are simple. Uh, much like uh, a couple weeks ago, we finished our series on spiritual warfare. And remember, Paul gave us seven simple steps to put on our spiritual, warfare, uh, uh, spiritual armor. And remember, they were very simple, but very profound. And these four steps are much the same. They're, they're very simple, kind of like the instructions that Aslan gave to Jill. Just say the signs in the morning, say them at night, say them in the middle of the night. Pretty simple. And yet they're powerful if we follow them, all right? Okay, so number one. The first step is to read his words. Read his words. The first thing that we need to do if we want to remember what God has taught us is we need to, uh, in a regular way, be in God's word. Now, the reason is, is because the way the word is laid out is you can't read very far before it touches on the lessons he's taught you in the past. And so simply by being in the word, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that. You see, it just kind of, it's just sort of an automatic triggering system. And I want to give you a great example of this from the Old Testament. So take your Bibles. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 1. <coughs> Joshua 1. Now in Joshua 1, Uh, Israel's about ready to go in the promised land. Uh, uh, Joshua's really scared. Moses has just died. He's a new leader. It's a big task, scary task. And God says, hey, don't, don't worry, Joshua. I'm with you. You're going to be successful. But there's one thing you need to do to be successful. And so in verse 6, he says, Joshua, be strong, be courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land. It's a clear promise. I'm with you. You're going to succeed. Verse 7, here comes a condition. So you need to be strong, be very courageous, and be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. So you need to remember the signs. You need to remember what the word says. You need to remember the lessons. Don't turn from it from the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. That's the condition. Then he says something very interesting. <clears throat> he says, do not let this book of the law, which was the Old Testament that they had at the time, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Don't read it out loud, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written, and then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, I got a question for you. So why is God saying you need to meditate on the word day and night? Hadn't Joshua read the word before? I mean, the only word they had this time was the first five books of the Old Testament. Not so, not so much to read. Hadn't you read it before? Hadn't you heard that story before? I mean, it, was it like he would never read it? No, no, he'd read it. He'd heard it. But here's what God's saying. I know you've read it. I know you've heard the stories. 
But unless you review it on a regular basis, you will forget it. You see, God is assuming that our capacity for forgetfulness, this tremendous capacity we have for spiritual amnesia, God's assuming that. He says, so Joshua, the key to your success is you need to be you need to be in the war. You need to meditate day and night. You need to remember the signs when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, in the middle of the night. You need to meditate on the word. You need to remember the signs. And so here's, here's something that's very important. I want you to key in on this. I'm very important. Often we think that our, we read the Bible in our lives or we come to church and hear the Bible taught. We think the reason we're doing that is so that we can learn something new. Can I tell you something? The reason we read the Word, the reason we come to church and study the Word is not so much to learn something new. It's to remember something old. It's one of the signs that's the key to our success, but we have forgotten. How many times, like, have you been in church and and we hear a message, you go, wow, it was powerful, and that just hit me, and God really spoke to me. And it's like, oh, is that the first time you've ever heard a, a teaching on prayer? Oh, no, I've heard like 20. Well, then why do you need to hear it number 20 time? Because I forgot the first 19, right? And so often we look at it, tell me something new. Tell me something I don't know. I'll tell you it's something you don't know, but once I tell you, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I knew that. No, you didn't. You don't know it until you're living it. And if you're not living in the reality of it right now, then you don't know it. You see, so Josh, God comes and says, hey, you've got to meditate day and night. And so are you, uh, we need to, the first way to remember the signs is to be in the word, reviewing them. Now, I want to get real practical here. So I want to ask you three specific questions about reading uh, the word in your, reading his words in your life. Uh, first one goes like this. The first one, as we enter into 2008, first question is, are you committed to coming to church every week? Now, for a lot of you, you're like, Mike, is that the best you've got? I mean, I know it's Christmas week, it's busy, but really, could you? See, for a lot of us, you're a follower of Jesus for a long time, and church is part of your life. It's part of your schedule. You don't come to the weekend and say, am I going to church this weekend? Hey, honey, do you want to go to church? No, not really. You don't decide. It's just, it's, you schedule your life around church. But for a lot of new believers, if you're new at following in Jesus, or you've just never gotten the habit for whatever reason, you schedule your church around your life. And you say, so why is it so important to be at church? Because at church is where we review the signs. It's where we come together and we say, now, now what is the key to our success in this journey we're on? Let's review together. And every week we unpack that. And I'm looking so forward to this year. So this year, you know, we're going to start off the year next week, a four-week series called Priority One. It's going to be a series about what does it look like to make God the top priority in your life? What's that really look like in the midst of all of our other stuff? We've got, we got kids and relationships and we've got jobs. And so what does it really look like to make God priority one? It's going to be a great series, four weeks. Then in the middle of February, we're going to start a new series. It's a, it's a long series. It's a companion series to the one we did last year, the, the movement, the, the message of the movement and the life and teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Companions, this one's going to be on the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul. It's called The Way. And to get at it, just like we got at the old one, uh, last year's long series through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get at this through the book of Romans. 
So we're going to launch through the book of Romans. It's going to be an amazing study. We're going to spend 20 or 30 weeks with one of the greatest Christian followers of all time and let him mentor us on what does it look like to follow Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And then the fall, uh, you know, Lord willing, kind of the plan is to talk about this thing of what does it look like to be a movement church, be part of God's movement. What does that look like for us as a church? What's God's unique vision for Rocky Peak? How is that coming together as we've been praying about that with elders and working through his staff? Where is God taking us as a church? It's been a great year. But to be part of that, you need to be here. And you need to be reviewing the signs with us, you see, week by week. That's number uh, first question. Second question, um, are you in a small group? Uh, One of the best ways to review the word is by being in some sort of small group, whether it's a life group or a Bible study or BSF or uh, uh, a community Bible studies, whatever, that, that you're in a place with other believers where you're reviewing the signs and discussing the signs and, you're, you're review- and it just drives it deeper in your life so you remember. A third question for you is, are you, uh, are you reading the word on your own? You know, church is great, Bible studies are great, but at some point we have to read the Word on our own and give God time to just talk to us directly through His Word. And once you start reading on your own and you start learning the Word on your own, then what happens is when you come to church, you come to the Bible study, man, everything sticks more because you've got a framework for it now and you remember what you learned a lot better. And so are you in the Word? And so there's a lot of ways to do that. You go to your Bible bookstore and you can buy books, or you can just read through the Bible, or study a proverb a day. There's a lot of different ways to do that. One of the ways that we suggest here, because it's just one way that works for a lot of people, are these life journals that we've been pushing. You know, five bucks, cheap thing, but they give you a schedule to read through the Word, a place to write down what you're learning. It's just a great way. And so, or do you have a plan as we enter into 2008? So the first thing we need to do is we need to read His words, because they're, they're the signs. We're like reviewing the signs, okay? Number two, The second thing we need to do is we need to write your words. Write your words. In other words, um, when God is teaching you something, so remember those five examples I gave. So he's teaching you something about his hard times or through about insights or direction or his promise, um, his discipline in your life. When he's teaching you a lesson, you need to capture that lesson on paper. Very important. Uh, One reason it's important is because something happens when we take a lesson that's kind of fuzzy in our head and we actually force it through our fingers on the page, that it gets clearer and we're able to retain it longer. It gets imprinted on our mind. Now, um, I know that a lot of you are journalers and you love to journal and you just love to write. It's so fun. Okay, I'm not one of those people. I hate journaling. I hate writing. Uh, My handwriting is atrocious. I can't even read it myself. So every time I write something, it depresses me. Look at that. It's ugly. (laughs) Secondly, I write like with a bird claw. And for whatever reason. And and it's just, when I write that with my hand, it gets cramps in it. You know, and so it's like, I I can't write for very long. It's just, you know, some of you have beautiful penmanship. It's not me. Uh, Third thing is, it, it takes a long time. It's like, it takes you a second to get an insight. Oh, I get it. It might take you, you know, 10, 15 minutes to write it down, and it's just boring to me. I get bored. And so, so I do not like writing, okay? but I've been learning in my life over the last many years. I need to write it down, because if I don't, I'll forget it. I need to write it down. 
There in your note sheet, great verse, prophet says to Habakkuk, the prophet, he says, the Lord answered me, write down the vision, write it clearly on clay tablets, uh, pen and paper work fine though. Um, <laughs> just want to make sure you didn't take it too literally. Did you take the Bible literally? Well, what do you mean? All right. Okay, so you write it down clearly on clay tablets so what, whoever reads it can run to tell others. In other words, until you write down what God's shown you, you, you can't run with it. You know, you need to write it down so that others, yourself, you can run with it. Now, again, so you need to get a journal to do this. Now, I like the life journals we have here. They're cheap. They're easy. Uh, it's an easy way, you know, just to write down what you're learning. Now, let me say this. You don't have to over-journal. You don't have to write something down every day. You don't have to write something down every week. It's just when God shows you one of these five categories of lessons I talked about earlier, when God shows you something, you need to write it down, right? And that might not be. That might not be all the time. Just write down those lessons that he's, what he's showing you. Okay, number three. Okay, so we've, we're reading his word. We're writing our own words. Number third step is to share your words. I told you these were simple, right? Simple. Um, it's not enough to write it down. When God shows you something significant, you need to share it with someone else that you trust in your life. Um, this is one of the reasons why I'm so big on small groups, like these life groups, because if you're in a life group, every week you're reading his words, every week you're writing down some of what you're learning, and every week you're sharing in your group what you're learning. It's like it's just planned into your life, you know? And so you need to be sharing it. I know in my life, one of the things I do is whenever God's showing me something new, um, is usually as soon as possible, I like to share it with my wife, Lynn. And, and I do this for a couple reasons. One is it's a great way to stay connected because you're sharing what God's doing in your life. It's, you're kind of entering the holy of holies of your life. You're sharing the deepest stuff. And so it keeps us connected in our marriage. But also I do it because I want to drive it home in my heart. And when you share something, you, you take a concept in your head, you put it in your words, and you share it with a person, it cements it in your life. And so it becomes an important part. Now, a byproduct of this, another good reason to share these words, a byproduct, is that when you share your story with someone else, they often remember your story when you've forgotten it. And this is very important, especially during hard times. Because when you're in the midst of hard times, you tend to forget what God has told you. You forget what God has shown you. You forget your own story. And if you've been sharing your journey, they will remember and remind you of your story when you need it most. Okay, great example. Old Testament, David, Jonathan, two of my favorite guys. You know, great warriors, but great friends. Share their hearts deeply. It was one of the keys to their success in battle was their close relationship. And so, so David, God's done all these amazing things in his life, amazing promises, but that was a long time ago. He's living out in the desert, running from his life for years from King Saul, often a step away from death. He's done. He's just tired. He's exhausted. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He's ready to die. And so God sends Jonathan, his buddy, out, makes a long trip out to the wilderness. He catches up with him, and he encourages him. And look what he says there on your note sheet. He says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learns that Saul has come out to take his life, which is again. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh. And I love this. He helped him find strength 
in God. Now, how did he do that? How did he, how did he help him find, how did he get back on track? He says, don't be afraid. My father saw, he's not going to lay a hand on you. He's not going to catch up. He's not going to kill you. I promise you, it's not going to happen. You'll be king over Israel. I just know it, David. And I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And so the two of them make a covenant before the Lord, and Jonathan goes home, and David goes to Horus. Now i got a question for you. <clears throat> How come Jonathan was so convinced about David's future? I mean, is he just being Pollyanna? You know, one of those friends that comes along, oh, cheer up, it'll get better. All things work together for good. No, he's not. The reason he could cheer him up is because he remembers David's story better than David remembers his story. See, David, at one point, the the prophet Samuel had anointed him and promised him one day you would be king. God had often told him that. God had been with him and triumphing over Goliath. God had been with him as a military leader in Israel. God had been with him every step of the way. And every step of the way, David and Jonathan had shared the journey together. They knew each other's stories. And so when David was down and depressed, he says, oh, Saul's going to get me. I'm going to die. I know it. His buddy comes along and says, that is not your story. You have forgotten your story. That is not the story of your life. This is the story of your life. And he reminds David what David had shared with him in private all those years. Now let me tell you, men, we need men and women in our life who know our story so that when we forget the truth about ourselves, they're there to remind us. It's a beautiful thing. You know, the only thing that Jonathan was wrong about was his own story. Jonathan did not end up being second to David. He ended up dying in battle. Isn't that interesting? He was right to the T on David's story. He was wrong on his own story. And there's a principle there, that often we are better at seeing into each other's story than we are even our own story. And so we need to share, not only so it drives it deeper, we remember, but so that when we forget, we have people in our life that say, Mike, come on, really, are you really think that? I mean, do you remember what God said here? And remember what God said here? And remember what he did here? Do you remember? Mike, remember the signs. You see, remember what God has said. Okay, number four. The fourth step, simple step, powerful step is to review your words. So you've, you've written your words, you've shared your words, now you need to review your words. Now, of all, this, all the steps, this is my most hated step. You probably thought number two was, because I was so passionate about it, writing my story. But actually, there's something I hate even worse. Can you tell I'm not just like the, the most natural journaler here? So something I hate even worse than writing my story is reviewing my story. It is so boring. Yeah, I like living in the future. I, I really don't have a lot of use for the past. It's just past is boring to me. I've been there, done that. And just the way that God's wired me is that I enjoy today by thinking about tomorrow. This is the way I am. Now, I realize that some of you aren't that way. You just love, my wife is like this. She loves watching the same movie 22 times. <laughs> oh, watch, here comes the good part. <laughs> really? 
How can it be a good part when you know what's happening? You know, Tom Hanks marries Meg Ryan. And so, like, it, it's, it's, it's over. It's done. It's history. It was okay barely the first time. You know, I've never been sleepless over Seattle. It's just... You know, to me, it's like once I know Rambo wins, I don't want to watch that movie anymore. You know, it's like it's, I'm done with that. There's only a handful of movies I watch more than once. Says, I'm not about the past. And so when it comes to journaling, I don't want to study what God told me yesterday. That was cool yesterday. I want to move in the future. But here's what God's been teaching me for years. is Mike, if you want to move into my preferred future for your life, you have to remember what God's done in your past. And you have to go back and review. You will not remember otherwise. So let me tell you how it works out in my life. Now this may be, you may be a great reviewer, so you don't even need any help on this. But if you're like me, let me tell you what I do. Not so much you follow my example to the T, but just to give you an idea. So here's what I do. Every year I go through about three journals a year, about one every four months. Now that sounds like a lot, but actually I write down a lot of my prayer requests and so it, I fill up journals fairly fast because the prayer requests, I don't really have that many in, you know, insight entries comparatively. And so, um, so about you know, four, four months, I'm done. So here's my rule. Before I go on to start a new journal, I have to reread the old journal. I've got to re, I, I reread it. I mark it up. Oh yeah, that lesson, that was good. Mark it up. And then I give it a title, a new title in my mind that helped me remember. And then here's what I do. You'll think I'm crazy, but I make an Excel spreadsheet. And I, and, and I put on there, okay, here's, see, I told you. You're like, really? Come on. You're so weird. You're such a nerd. I can't even believe you do that. Can't believe you're our pastor and we're listening and you know, paying good money for this. Okay, so... Well, giving has been down, not that good. Anyway, all right, so, um, okay, so, so, yeah, that's what I do. I type in the page number, the date. I put the, the title there of whatever the lesson is and the page number of my journal. And then, so what I do then, so then I can't go on the next journal until I finish that journal. It's a, it's a built-in way for me to review what I've learned. And then it comes to the, end, the next step, coming to the end of the year, this week of the year, always been Christmas and New Year's, right about there. I'll pull out my journals for that year, and I will review the lessons that God's taught me. And as I go through those journals, and here's what I do. I'll, I'll pick out, I want to know the top 10 lessons from that year, like in this year, 2007, that are my signs. That's what I need to remember. That's how God has prepared me for 2008. These are my signs. And so this last week, for example, uh, we have a new Panera bread in Simi. It's unbelievable. I am so happy. We, we had one in our last uh, place we lived. I lived there all the time. And so it's just great. You know, God is so good. And so we got this Panera thing. And so two nights, Wednesday night and Thursday night, went, you know, had dinner, spent about an hour there, just kind of going on my journals. Friday morning went to Corner Bakery and kind of spent a couple more hours. My dad, you know, the journals. And, uh, and so I've got it whittled down now to my top 14 lessons of 2007. I still need to go down a little bit further. The top but, uh, lessons, it's a great, a great practice. I don't really enjoy it, honestly, but it's powerful. Like, wow. And here's what shocks me. Even in that four-month review of journals, I'm always so shocked that it's like what I've forgotten already in four months' time. So here's my question for you. Let's go ahead and turn the page. Here's my question for you. Is 2008, what are your top 10? 
I've got an assignment for you. Think of it as a mission if you choose to accept it. Is this week, I'd like you to get alone. And I'd like you to think through your 2007 and ask yourself the question, what are your top 10 lessons? Now, if you haven't been journaling, that may be harder to remember. Maybe only come up with your top five, your top three. That's okay. Just do the best you can. What are your top lessons that God has taught you in these five categories this year that I gave you earlier that will help that you need to remember from 2007 to be successful in 2008? Um, okay, so... Uh, let's go back in time. It's, um, it's three years ago. Lynn uh, and I came to Rocky Peak almost three years. It's our third New Year's message. And so at our old place, um, every year, 15, 20 years, whatever, I give a New Year's message. And I was teaching the same, kind of same concept message about three years ago. It's 2004. So I asked the congregation to do this. I give them the mission, give them the assignment, go in the top ten. And a couple weeks later, actually a couple months later, it was in March, I get a, uh, an email from someone and she's a young mom, like late 20s, early 30s. And she says, so Mike, I've had it on my mind to send you an email since the, the end of January. But I keep forgetting. So here it is. I really enjoyed your sermon at the beginning of January and the suggestion you made about going back through 2004 looking for life lessons. A friend of mine, and she gives her name, and I have been close friends for a long time. And we share a lot with each other in our spiritual and personal growth. And we decided to do this assignment and give ourselves a due date. And we began pouring over our journals and our books read and our photo albums and thinking about significant events of the year. And it was so awesome to remember the lessons learned and what God had shown me during the previous 12 months. So many things, things that would have been forgotten. And the last day of January, we met for an early morning coffee. We shared our lists with each other. And wow, we each printed them on a small piece of paper that we attached to our 2005 journals. Well, it's just March but I've already referred to my list a number of times. She and I are looking forward to this new tradition we could do every year, thanks for the great idea. And then she, she puts a P.S. Uh, my husband and I will miss you. God has used you to work in our life for the last 12 years. We've been at North Coast. Even though we're sad to see you go and we'll miss your teaching, we, we, we know that God has great things in store for you and Lynn at your new church. And as I read it this week, I thought, isn't that true? God has such great things in store for him. And I'm excited about 2008. I'm excited what God is doing in our church and what he's doing in your lives as you share the stories that are coming in week after week. Hey, but here's the lesson. The key to remembering, or the key to the, the, the experience of the future, is remembering the past. Okay, so here we start the day. We start the day. Jill and Eustace, they're on their journey. First stage of their journey, they're doing great. They're remembering the signs. Every morning, every night, middle of the night, she's repeating the sign. As time goes on, the journey gets tougher and tougher. She starts to let it slip. She misses a morning, misses an evening. Pretty soon she's missing altogether. And pretty soon she's forgotten the signs altogether. As a result, their, their lives become much more dangerous. Their trip becomes much more difficult. They almost fail. They end up at the castle of the, the giants. They're excited to find out that they get to celebrate the autumn feast until they find out that one of the ingredients is little children. And there in the middle of the night, Aslan appears once again to Jill in a dream. He reminds her of the signs, and in a flash, she realizes her mistake. They've gotten off track. They've had all these disasters because she's forgotten the signs. She's already missed the first three, which has led them to their predicament. 
And so she wakes up her, her comrades and she reminds them of the fourth sign. And sure enough, not too long after that, the fourth sign appears and it's the key to their success. And they follow this sign and they, they, they find the prince and they're able to break the spell that he's been under from the green serpent who's really the white witch. They're able to break the spell and escape from the silver chair where she'd hold them at midnight every night for an hour to cast her spell. And they escape and they go underground and they make it all the way back to Narnia just in time to get there to warn the king of a coming coup from the wicked witch. And Narnia is saved. But it all happens because they finally learn the lesson at the end of the story that if you want to experience God's future for you, his preferred future, you have to remember the signs. You have to remember the lessons he's taught you in the past. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful to be at the start of a new year, a fresh start, new beginning. And God, we want to move with power with you into this new year that you have. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to capture the lessons that you've taught us in 2007, that we'd be prepared for 2008. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, as we wrap up the year, it seems so appropriate that today we'd celebrate communion because in the Old Testament, there was all these events and festivals and feasts and tassels and monuments that God gave them to remember what he'd done. But in the New Testament, there's just one event. There's one celebration. There's one thing he's given us and said, this is your sign and do it in remembrance of me, right? This reminds you what I've done for you on the cross. This reminds you of the new life that you have in me. It reminds you of the future I have for you. And I want you to do it over and over to remind you of who you are, what I've done, what is coming. And so today we're going to be celebrating communion. If you're new here at Rocky Peak, if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. And I, I just encourage you that as you come, uh, J.D. is going to be just playing some background music. We'll have some scripture on the screen. And as you come, when you, when you feel ready, just go to the communion tables around the room and participate. And when you come, maybe there's a new commitment you need to make. Maybe there's a commitment. I'm going to be at church this year. I'm going to start this reading plan. I'm going to join a small group. I've been off track. I'm going to get back on. What a perfect time to come to Jesus and to give yourself in a fresh way at the start of a new year. Father, we pray now, we thank you for giving us your son, and we do this in remembrance of him for all he's done for us and all he is to us. We come to celebrate the forgiveness of sins, the new life we have in you. We come in the name of Jesus, and we remember him at the start of a new year. We pray this in his name. Amen. Lord, that's our prayer as we enter into this year, and we pray that you would help us to remember the lessons that you've taught us this past year that we could remember those signs and move into this year and live a life fully consecrated, 100% for you. We pray you be teaching that, Lord, from the first series on as we move through the study of the uh, Old Testament prophet Haggai and unto the teaching of the Apostle Paul and what it looks like to be a movement church in the fall. God, we just we look to you to be our teacher this year. We want to be your church. We want to be pleasing to you. 100% sold out, passionate followers. And so, God, we, we give you this year as our gift to you. We pray you give it back to us with clear directions and the power to live it out. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you. I hope you can join us this next week as we launch that new series, Priority One. It should be great. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God does. And so may the Lord be with you uh, not only today, 
and not only tomorrow, but this whole year. May 2007 be a year where you experience Jesus and the power of his resurrection in new and powerful ways. As Paul said, his one goal in life was to know him and to know the power of his resurrection so he could become like him. And that's what it's all about, right? And so may this year be a year we experience him and move into our future with him more than ever before, taking the lessons we've learned that he's taught us as a church in 2007. We move into 2008 following the signs that he's laid out. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.